Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 22. Uh, today's episode is going to be a great one. We're going to be talking uh, to Heidi Dalek about being an accompanist. And uh, our conversation went a little long, so I'm going to keep the introduction short this week. So just a few things as we get started. Uh, first, uh, welcome new listeners. Welcome to longtime listeners. Uh, not that it's been that long. It's been a few months, but if some of you have been with me through the beginning, and I just want to say how much I appreciate you. I also just want to remind you, uh, it's, it's not just helpful, it's actually crucial for the growth of this show that if you uh, get any value out of it, that you please do one of three things, or all of three things, and that is to share each episode, give a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or just the rating, but, you know, review is actually probably even a little bit better, and um, also... Make sure that you are subscribed to wherever you receive your podcasts. Uh, the only other thing that I want to mention before we get on to our conversation today is just a couple of things political. Uh, not too much, but, you know, with the news uh, recently that Broadway is now closed until the summer of 2021, uh, I just want to mention we're in mid-October right now, and uh, I want to remind you to please vote. And as you're voting, since this is a podcast about the performing arts, I would just encourage you to ask this one question in considering the candidates that you vote for. How do they feel about performing arts? I know I realize there's probably a lot more other important factors that go into uh, deciding a candidate, but um People in my field need leaders who do value what arts brings to a nation, what it brings to a community. So whether that's on a local level or all the way to the federal level, consider your candidates and how they feel about the performing arts. All right, on with today's show and our featured guest, who is Heidi Dalek. And Heidi Dalek is a piano accompanist specifically for Elon University in North Carolina. She's going to be talking about what that's like. And um, as we'll also mention, in the normal course of a production, the piano accompanist often transitions to become the piano one player for the pit, or the keyboard one player, some of the books are called. And we're going to be talking about uh, going from one role to the other, and all the things that go into being an accompanist, and especially, and if you are a pianist, this is an invaluable episode, because as I mentioned later on, this is very likely how you're going to get paid as a pianist. You have a very low percentage shot of getting work as a premier soloist. It could happen. I'm not going to squash your dreams. But I'm going to say, if you are an accomplished pianist and you'd like to go make money soon, learn to be an accompanist. We're going to talk about what is involved with that. Here's my interview with Heidi Dalek. Heidi, how have you been doing? Well, let me say that another way. How have you been doing since March? 
isn't it funny that we're still asking each other that though? Uh, well, I don't know if funny is the right <laughs> adjective. It's sad. Tragic. But yeah. It's like, I just read this past week. No. Yeah. It was a few days ago. It was a, I didn't even read the article. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just saw the headline. Dr. Fauci saying that theaters will have to stay closed a year after the vaccine is here. <laughs> uh-huh. I, and, yeah. And I'm and I, I, I'm sure there's there's maybe something more optimistic in the article, but that's just ah, I can't I can't take that at the moment. I, the mm-hmm. news is changing all the time. I'll wait and see what they say later i I know that broadway's close till january anyway let's see what happens when we get closer to that <laughs> uh, right i'm just uh i'm with you i saw that headline and i did not read the article <laughs> i i didn't want to know right um i mean there's still if we can get well enough to where we can put a show up on the stage and stream it mm-hmm. i'd be delighted because right. right now we can't even really do that right um well, let's see. Let's just kind of get a, a little bit better of an introduction. Uh, so <laughs> I know you as uh, one of the accompanists for Elon. And in fact, right. you were the you were, were the, the you were the piano person, the, uh, the piano one player and the accompanist for Parade, which is the only show that I've done with you. But I want to say, was it 2017 or 16, maybe? can't remember um that sound 16 sounds right right yeah, yeah. that's right yeah because i remember i was yes yeah, doing chicago at the same time and, and yeah and i remember one of the guys in chicago says i've always wanted to do parade <laughs> so yeah came so that was very good uh so you're um you're an accompanist at elon is what else do you do or is that kind of your main thing that um, has become my main thing. It's Elon is kind of a an unusual setup in that they the school hires staff accompanists, mm-hmm. and just about every other school there's either like grad students or students who are able to accompany the voice students, um, and it's kind of like a freelance setup like UNCG is. Um, but at Elon, my title is academic support staff with faculty rank. Nice. Yeah. Swiffer for short. Right. <laughs> um, which is really flattering. Um, and so we're basically like non-grading, non-class teaching teachers. Right. And so my job is to go from voice lesson to voice lesson, play the shows, play master classes, play whatever event is happening. And because I'm housed in performing arts, I do everything music theater related. Right. So yeah, that's kind of interesting to compare. Um, I I play I accompany some classes at School of the Arts, but it's just basically like each teacher can hire who they want there. Apparently, so right. it's like I know the teacher of one class, and she hires me to come in um, for like their tutorials, you know. But it's only because they split up the students and they don't have enough pianists to go around, so. I don't I don't yeah. know that School of the Arts has a like a designated accompanist. I think maybe School of Dance might hire somebody and so forth. I yeah, I think they hire out, but yeah. So how has your work changed, if any, during this time? <laughs> well, I'm home. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That um my job is usually so so busy. I I think I tallied up one time and I worked like 50 days in a row once wow. at Elon. 
Um, it's usually very much hands-on. I spend Monday through Friday doing classes and voice lessons. I spend the weekends playing um, shows, show rehearsals, master classes, whatever extra event is going on. And I'm there all the time. And I'm working remotely probably three days a week now, four days a week. Right. Uh, I mean, is I mean, it's kind of hard to accompany locally unless, unless yep. you've got something other than Zoom, you know, <laughs> where it doesn't have the latency issues. But <laughs> right. So yeah, I mean, it's just like the least safe thing you can do besides like going to the dentist is playing for a voice lesson. Right. So yeah, I am. Um, the voice lessons are basically being taught by Zoom. And I'm making a million accompaniment tracks for that. Right. And so that's me sitting here. I've got like a little home keyboard setup, which you absolutely right. cannot see. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, and so I'm recording into GarageBand and editing everything and sending it out to the students to use for their Zoom lessons. Right. And then we have like two big spaces that the teachers can use to safely teach. And so we're all spread out in these big stage areas and the kid is wearing a face shield and the teacher's like 30 feet away. Right. And that space is limited. And so we divvied that up among the accompanists and each of us covers like basically a day of lessons. Right. <laughs> so we're doing that in person and we have um, a non-latency or latency-free setup at work where um, the student can be in one room and the accompanist can be in another mm. and they can hear each other, no delay. But we didn't have the funds to have video. Oh, okay. So it's audio only, but it is in real time. So mm -hmm. that's kind of cool. It hasn't been set up yet, but it will be very cool. So if you just turn out the lights, you, you can know what it'd be like to be blind and mean a compass, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and when all this went down, I went around and scrounged for every big space on campus that has a piano or a keyboard. And I set up some safe rehearsal spaces for all the accompanists. Right. So we're doing that. And I, I go in like one morning a week and rehearse with like five kids. Yeah, it's very it's interesting just to know how different colleges do it. I, I just did a three week stint with School of the Arts for the drama class. And uh, they they have one student at a time. And it's oh. in a kind of a huge rehearsal room and double plexiglass set up. And they issued each staff person an N95 mask. Kind of interesting. But normally that class would be doing like, here's five or six at a time, you know, in the room. Right. So, and, um, yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And, of course, when this got started the last semester, I had to record some accompaniments kind of like how you've had to do. And, um, yeah, it... It's kind of funny when people ask you to record accompaniments, they, they think, oh, wait, wait, just press record and just play it. And it's like, okay, so first of all, the key, <laughs> the keyboard that's going to sound any good is 61 notes instead of 88 key, which means I'm probably Ooh. playing one hand at a time, you know, uh, or yeah. going really slow, pausing. And, of course, for page turns, it's like, okay, I play to the page turn, stop it, line uh -huh. it up, turn the page, 
maybe give myself a lead in, you know? Uh (laughs) Oh yeah. And the perfectionist in me cannot just like play it through and say, but that's close enough. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it'll be something like Sondheim or, you know, Jason Robert Brown. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to record this. I know it's supposed to be at 120. I'm going to record it at 80 (laughs) and then speed it up. (laughs) Yeah. Is everybody not doing that? Right. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. So I just say, you know, it, it takes three, two or three times as long to record it as it does to play it live. You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I, I record everything seriously under tempo and then I take my laptop and sit down and edit everything in that recording and tweak the tempos and like fix all the wrong notes and tidy up the entrances. Right. You can go nuts with this. Right. But um, that's been my day. Uh, yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, so obviously piano is your main instrument. Is that your exclusive instrument or do you have other things that we don't know about? I, I definitely spent the beginning of quarantine trying to brush up my guitar skills, okay. which I have played off and on since I was, probably an early teenager and it turns out i'm still pretty bad (laughs) but like an enthusiastic guitar player and i can read tab and and play some chords yeah you know if you give me like a country tune or something i could probably make that happen right um but not enough to like play in public i played violin Mm -hmm. from second or third grade all the way through high school terrible Mm. like objectively i must have spent at least 10 years on that instrument really bad (laughs) yeah um picked up trombone in high school and played that all through college um definitely a last chair trombone player but again very enthusiastic played in the jazz band i had a great time i could probably still pick that up Right. But yeah, piano. Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> mean, piano. I mean, there's, I mean, there's instruments and there's professional instruments. And right. if, if uh, I don't own a French horn anymore, if I was to, <laughs> if I had one and gave me, you know, like a month or two to brush up, there are some circumstances that I would say, okay, you can hire me for French horn. I won't embarrass myself. <laughs> um, like community theater gig. Community theater, Small yeah. Town. But it's like, you know, if you're expecting like more than more than 90% accuracy, probably not. You know, I would say don't hire me for 90%. that. 90%. <laughs> Impressive. Yeah. That would be the low notes I leave out. I've, I've already talked to Kate mm, Hopper mm. and, you know, I, just, I told her I'm a... <laughs> Uh, actually, I don't think I actually said this out loud in the interview, but I've told her before, like, I'm a third horn player in an orchestra setting. I can get the high notes, <laughs> but the low range is just not there. It's like one yeah. time I tried to play a tuba. I played notes that probably would make a tuba player jealous of how high it could go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I was going to say. But I couldn't do the low notes. I couldn't even, I couldn't even get the bottom octave and a half of the range. I was just... Yeah, I'm sure if if I worked on it, I could. But, you know, the thing about, you know, being a professional musician is if you're going to be good at something, you have to resign yourself to be bad at just about everything else or at least mediocre. (laughs) (laughs) That's an interesting way of putting it. I I definitely have found that's the case because I've always thought like, okay, I'm a decent musician. I should be able to pick up like anything and and I can pick it up and make a sound happen. But. 
but not like public ready. You you mentioned violin. Uh, my wife Jennifer plays violin, and mm-hmm. I've, I've joked with her before. She's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Viola too, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. I joked with her because she teaches privately. I said, um, I can take a I can take anybody off the street, show them middle C on the piano, and say, here, play that key. I said, and it'll sound as good as when I play that key. <laughs> but the violin, you play that same note. It takes two years of practice before you even want to hear it. That one note. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nobody should touch that violin until they've mastered it. That's right. what I say. It's it's just funny the different challenges that come with learning each instrument. Um, well, let's stick with the piano. So when did you start <laughs> playing the piano and, uh, have you always wanted to do it professionally or did you have to grow into that? Um, I started, uh, probably in the womb. Um, yeah. my mother, <laughs> my mother, uh, taught piano, um, all her life. Like she's just now retired, um, and piano teacher and church organist. And I'm the fourth of five kids. So by the time she got to me, she had decided that the other piano teachers that she had sent my older siblings to were no, no good. And she was going to teach me herself. And she tells me that when I was about four, I started pestering her to play Mm. and that she thought I was too young and I kept bothering and bothering her. And I was able to read Mm -hmm. at that point. I was an early reader. And so she sat me down at the piano one day and like you said, showed me middle C. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Said this way is up, this way is down, this way is high, this way is low. Showed me the page and put one of those beginner piano books in front of me and said, um, just keep turning the page until you can't figure it out anymore. Hmm. And I stuck with it and she decided that she would teach me. Right. But (laughs) you shouldn't teach your kids. Right. Um, So it was a lot of like, she'd sit me down and get me started on something and then leave the room and, and I would figure it out and she'd call out from the next room. I can still, I probably still have some PTSD from her, like screaming F sharp from the next room over. (laughs) So a lot of like yelled out corrections. Right. But So it was a lot of that. And I really, really loved it until I really, really hated it. Right. Which I think a lot of musicians go through. Yeah. I I just love it. It it sounds like the story is you you auditioning for your mom to take piano lessons. Mm. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's great. I brought my resume. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, so when you say you were an early reader, so like you figured out how to read music on your own, was that, or, or were you just talking about you were like reading oh, books, you know, reading, reading. reading. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting story. I, you know, when I got into piano, it was all because of, I had a very good ear for my age. It's like, I, I like, uh, you know, my family, um, with, you know, we, they were very active in church at that time. And so like, I heard like the hymn tune, Jesus loves me and figured out how to play it, you know, on the piano by uh, hearing it would just look one finger, <laughs> just the melody. Yep. Um, and I don't ever remember not knowing the keys, but I remember they kind of got me going by saying, this is his strength, you know, and this is interesting as a piano teacher, 
because I always wonder if this is the right approach or the wrong approach, but they're like, okay, he can't read music. All he can do is play, play by ear. Let's just kind of feed that for a while. So let's just kind of show him some things and, you know, we'll write in letters if we need to and all that. And after about two years, they realized I still wasn't reading music. So I had oh, to, wow. they had to change the format of my lessons so that I could get caught up on that. So like there was a whole year that I, I was in like the Alfred's method and I don't think I got, uh-huh. I got out of level two or three or whatever it was for a long time while I worked <laughs> on being able to read the notes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I don't know, That's, but yeah, that is a little at, backwards, I guess. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you, you come, you, you come with a curriculum and if it doesn't fit that student, they get bored, you know? So I right. don't, I don't know if, 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 I had had to learn music on schedule. I mean, learn to read music on schedule. I don't know if I'd stuck with it, but uh, it's it's one of those fun things to speculate. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember actually learning how to read the music. I just I, at some point it all made sense, right? I guess. Um, and so so you you hated it, but it's um, but you must have come to love it again. <laughs> so when did you, when did you? fall back in love um coincidentally about the same time that um my parents sprung for a clavinova ah. and yeah um and i still remember i i think i was in early high school and it got delivered and brought up to my bedroom and my brother helped me put it together and i plugged in my headphones and i was I was away, but, but then I was playing like every Billy Joel song and every pop tune and all that trashy eighties and nineties music. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cause they didn't know what I was playing. Right. And, um, and show tunes as I started going through high school and, and then I started to like it again. And I, up until that point had been thinking of being a writer going to med school something like that and then i was back into music um well you know you talk about billy joel i i just i don't think i'd ever listened to his debut album before last week you know i've heard i've heard like the classic albums but i hadn't heard his debut and i was i don't think there's a lot of there's maybe one memorable song on there but there's a few that he plays piano on and i'm like this had to inspire Jason Robert Brown because it has oh, that same yeah. quality to it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he's a huge Billy Joel fan. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like figuring that out. Like, um, I was playing Saturday night. Uh, some for I'm um, now I was playing from the show Saturday night. Saturday night <laughs> by by Sondheim, and and there was that, and there was something else, and I just said, uh, I've never met Sondheim, but he has to be a fan of Eric Satie. Because it's the same shape chords and the same kind of left hand uh, bass huh. chord, bass chord. <laughs> you know, I don't know Saturday Night that well, but I could definitely see that being a thing. Yeah, awesome. Um, so let's uh, let's dovetail that into theater. When did you get started in theater? Uh, high school for sure. I um, I have a sister two years older, and so of course I followed her everywhere, and. When I started high school, she was already doing the musicals. And so, of course, I did what she did. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be in the shows. And, you know, I was cast in the shows, but it's high school. Everybody's cast in the shows. Right. I was objectively <laughs> terrible on stage, very self-conscious and awkward. Um, 
but the music teacher was playing piano for the shows and he was decidedly not a pianist. He was a trumpet player, mm. really sweet guy. And, um, so of course when he found out I played piano, mm-hmm. um, I, he roped me in and I would, whenever I wasn't on stage, I was sitting next to him on the piano playing one hand mm. of the accompaniment. And so freshman year it was Lil Abner. Oh, okay. Like, does anybody do Lil Abner anymore? That I, is, I don't even know that show. <laughs> you don't know? Oh, my God. Don't ever listen to it. You'll be singing it for the rest of your life. Okay. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I, I sat down next to him and played, the like, the right hand for it. And um, as time went on through high school, I got more and more interested in playing the shows rather than being in them. So sophomore year, the community theater at the army base near where I lived was putting up forum. And I thought, that's cool. I've seen that movie. I like that show. Mm -hmm. And some friends of mine were auditioning and they were like, they need a pianist. You should see if they want you to play. So I got my first gig playing piano for forum at the Fort Monmouth community theater player. I did not get paid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never imagined that I should be getting paid. Right. I was in heaven. Mm. This was, have you ever seen the music? For, have you ever played anything from Forum? I haven't played it. I've seen the show, though. It's, it's a hilarious show. Like, yeah. it's a hilarious show, but it's Sondheim, yeah. and it's like intricate Sondheim. Mm-hmm. It was me on piano. Right. <laughs> there was no orchestra. Right. It was me. <laughs> A little different. (laughs) So it was interesting. It was me and this like middle-aged woman conducting it and community theater. And I, I didn't like the way the fanfare sounded on piano. There's a bunch of like introductory fanfares. And so I borrowed a trumpet from my school teacher and he showed me how to play a fanfare. And I thought, how hard could this be? So it was me on piano and trumpet. And that was my first gig. Nice. That was sophomore year. That was my sophomore year. Yeah. And then, um, or maybe it was the summer before. I'm a little lazy. Yes. And then we ended up doing the same show at my high school. Mm. Um, and I was in it ish. Mm. Um, you know how high school, they just like create chorus parts for it. Right. But I also played for some of the rehearsals and so that's sophomore year, junior year. One of the local high schools was doing MAME mm. and the director had a son who went to my high school. And I found out that their pianist like bailed on them like a week or two weeks into rehearsals. And I was like, mm-hmm. I could play piano. And they hired me and um, brought me in for a Saturday rehearsal to see if I was any good. And I read down one of the dance sequences for their rehearsal and they hired me 200 bucks. Right. <laughs> I was beside myself. <laughs> Nice. You're in high school. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like a month at a fast food place. <laughs> hey, yeah. Or at least <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I'm thinking back to pay scale of when I was in high school. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, pretty yeah. similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, w- I was feeling pretty wealthy. Right. So did that carry over to college? I mean, what was it? Was your focus on college with piano performance or did you do like a piano education Oh, yeah. So in college, not so much theater. I was a music ed major, and Mm. I thought I'd better 
like really focus on this. Mm-hmm. And I picked music ed instead of performance because I thought it would serve me better, like practicality, you know, right. getting a job after graduation. Mm-hmm. But I realized pretty quickly into the degree that I was not cut out for teaching. I was so shy and so awkward and so nervous with people and the pianist. And um, so I had some friends in the theater program and I'd go over and play a little rent for them or something. Mm -hmm. But um, so yeah, college, I focused on my degree. I didn't really do much theater until my senior year and I was student teaching and just like I was miserable. I was getting up at like six o'clock or five thirty every morning and going to teach chorus at Trinity High School mm. and being really, really bad at it. And I ran into a grad student when I had my, my weekly class at UNCG and he said, yeah, this this theater in Winston and their pianist. Um just bailed on them and they're opening Sweeney Todd Mm. like would you be interested and I called up the art I can't believe I did this I called up the artistic director of Little Theater Winston Mm -hmm. and said I heard they needed a pianist and like I hadn't played Sweeney but I listened to it a whole lot right (laughs) that man hired me over the phone Uh. (laughs) he was like sure warm body great (laughs) um and I showed up like I think that night <laughs> and played <laughs> two dress rehearsals and we opened the next day. Like I just sight read that score and and played that show. And maybe it was just because I've been student teaching and just in agony about like my future. Right. I I've never been so sleep deprived and so happy <laughs> in my life. Right. I, so I want to highlight, you know, you, you've you've given a similar story twice, and this is an important point that I make to a lot of my listeners because because I've heard it from other guests. You got two gigs by bailing out somebody else. <laughs> oh yeah, that's why. Like for a solid decade, I was called the oh shit pianist. <laughs> <laughs> As in, oh shit, right? <laughs> you need a pianist, right? I just I think if you want to succeed as a as a pit musician or professional musician, you just have to like you have to practice. You have to be ready, and um, you know say yes to those opportunities when they come because that's how you are on a list now, <laughs> and people will oh, know yeah. because until you're on that list, uh, you can tell them that you play, but they haven't heard you or anything like that. But yeah. you know it's it's bad for them, good for us. Some people are irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, other people's yeah. irresponsibility and is your opportunity. <laughs> exactly. And I am really, really grateful. And I did find out the stories behind like why those jobs opened up for me. And, you know. Yeah. Down the line, eventually, I think I created opportunities like that for other pianists right. in some of my more difficult and obnoxious years where I have bailed on things. Right. Yeah. My introduction and, was yeah, I was bailing out. I was bailing out someone who bailed out someone else. It was like it was just <laughs> just funny how that works. <laughs> yes. The circle of show piano. I'm not sure. Right. Circle of was that like the so was that like the beginning for you doing this very yeah. regularly? Yeah. 
that did it because the woman who was playing Mrs. Lovett in that production mm-hmm. um, is, well, I guess she still is. She was like the theater person in the area, Pauline Coberta. Mm. And oh. after that, as soon as I got in with Pauline, I had every gig lined up like for years. Right. I I did not have to apply for teaching jobs. I did not have to do what I hated after I graduated. I freelanced mm-hmm. Um, and I went from show to show to show. Right. Right. I still think, uh, you know, music education is, is probably, if you know, you're going to take a music degree, if you're not of the mindset that you're going to be definitely like pursuing Carnegie hall or some kind of (laughs) solo career, I really haven't seen the benefit to a piano performance degree to that point. I, I think having having a, a maybe a strong performance school, but where you can get a, like a more rounded musical education is a little bit more handy, you know, uh, but that's just I my agree. experience. Yeah. No, I, I do not regret my degree in the least. I'm I'm really grateful for what I did learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and eventually I got over my awkwardness and my shyness and I am much better in front of a class now. And I appreciate what I learned in my ed degree. And I'm also glad because it did uh, force me to try other instruments because you have to learn them all if you're going to be an educator. Right. So I've got a handle on a lot of different instruments. I had voice lessons. I had all kinds of experiences that I wouldn't have had with a performance degree. Right. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're an accompanist for a school like Elon. And I, I, f- I feel like, you know, even some listeners who are not in this area might recognize that name because it is, correct me if I'm wrong, it is a top 10 theater school in the country, right? It is. Yeah. It's, I had not heard of Elon right. when I applied for this job. This is my 20th year there. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied as a part-timer after I'd been out of school for like two years. Um, And I was just looking for more work. I was happy freelancing at UNCG, but it was a lot of classical. And it's just not really my wheelhouse. Right. And a friend of mine, actually my former voice teacher at UNCG, was teaching voice at Elon and said, hey, they're looking for a pianist. Mm -hmm. And so I applied and got a job working there part-time. And they made my position full-time after six or seven years. Right. But um, in that time, that program has grown from kind of a a sweet little music theater degree to like one of the foremost in the country. Right. I mean, I, I, I did an equity show Oh, an equity workshop in New York. And, you know, one of the people there was a recent graduate from Elon <laughs> at the time. But yeah, it's like the, you know, there, there are people in Broadway shows that people have yeah. heard of, you know, they're from Elon. Yeah, of course. You know, it's wild. I'll, um, I was watching a movie with, um, my wife and my sister-in-law and my nephew a couple weeks, a couple months ago. I don't know. Time has no meaning. But we're watching a movie and we're just flipping along and April's like, isn't that Ashley? Like, oh. we'll just see a graduate like in a movie on TV. Right. And it's so weird that our kids are on Broadway. Uh, you're the first person I've talked to who 
devotes so much time to accompanying. So I thought it'd be fun, and let's just talk about being an accompanist in a production. And let's just uh, so so I'm just going to ask this question and let you and then let you talk through it. So <laughs> so here's okay. the whole question. Um, so if you're an accompanist for a production that's eventually going to have a pit. I would say most of the time that means you're also going to transition to the piano one book. So let's just start with you've been asked to be an accompanist. Auditions are happening. And just take us through what what does your job look like all the way through getting into the pit and getting ready for your opening night? Wow. Okay. So we start with auditions, which means um, prepping for callbacks unless they want the students to material to material from the show for their audition, in which case I have to like actually learn the show right. <laughs> in advance, which I've been a lot better about in my youth. Maybe not so much, definitely sight reading and rehearsals. Right. Um, so I step one, when I get a show, I read the book. Now, actually I'll mm-hmm. read the entire script for the show which helps me get a sense of like, is this like a very serious, is this tongue in cheek? Is this, what kind of styles are we going for? I read the book, I read the mm-hmm. script. Um, I'll listen to a recording. I try not to get too caught up in that, but it does help me a lot to get a sense of what we're going for. And then I start prepping the callback music. I get overwhelmed at the monumental task of like learning a show. Mm-hmm. So wow. I, I try to divvy it up. Right now, I'm looking at uh, two shows that I've got coming up uh, for the remainder of this school year. And um, one of them, I've played through the entire score once. Mm-hmm. I just sat down and did it in two chunks and played through the whole thing just to kind of get a sense of how hard this was going to be for me to learn. Right. And so that's usually a good start, too. Um I'll cheat when I record the callback material right. and I record it into GarageBand under tempo, tweak it all up. Right. And I layer voice parts on top of that so the kids can learn it. And because we're all online right now, that's probably how they're going to submit for the callbacks. Anyways, they're going to have to record themselves singing to a track. Right. So then we get into rehearsal and that's usually four or five solid days of music rehearsal at Elon anyway. And so I'll get the schedule from the music director and I'll just try to stay like one day ahead of music prep and learn all of that. It's that hateful part of rehearsal where you're plunking out the voice parts. Uh And (laughs) I don't know if I'm bad at it or if I just resent it so much. Right. That it makes me bad at it. But I am like, I suddenly forget how to count. I forget how to read music. I'm sitting there like trying to plunk out these voice parts and harmonies and everything. It's terrible. And I get very short tempered. I've gotten a lot better about that now, but right. those kids know like you record your part and you don't ask me to play it again. Yep. <laughs> so we get through that and then we hurry on to the accompaniment where I'm a lot more comfortable. Right. And, and we'll do, a uh, day of music review, probably sing through like the entire show. And then we get into blocking. Right. And depending on the timeline, say a week or two to block the first act, a week or two to block the second act, 
And in the meantime, like some reviews, some stacking of scenes together, stuff like that. So we'll probably hit each number twice, maybe three times before we're ready to put the show up on its feet. Right. Now, uh, at this point, you're so let's assume that this is going to have an orchestra, but you are playing basically a reduced orchestration. And, and I know some piano parts are different. Sometimes you have just the piano part and little tiny notes associated with the flutes playing and all that. Yep. But uh, then sometimes it's not really clear. And maybe the cast needs to hear that. They need to hear what that name to hear that little flute solo or they need to hear. My favorite part is when it's a drum solo and I'm just like pounding some random rhythm on the piano. But but I'm assuming if you are like most accompanists that you're prioritizing notes, you're not trying yes. to play 100 percent of the ink in rehearsals. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, no, no. One of my special skills is fakery. Yeah. And I I am very, very skilled at making something sound like how it ought to go without actually having to play everything on the page. So, yeah, I think I think I get credit for being a better pianist than perhaps I actually am because my technique, not so great. Mm -hmm. But I, I do have a sense of like how things ought to sound and what the singer is going to need to hear. I have no problem like making the piano um, a percussion instrument and right. well, I mean, it is, but like, right. I have no problem making some noise and stomping my foot and banging out rhythms and yeah. Right. So yeah, you do have to like be a little orchestra during the rehearsals and help them hear stuff. And this is why I listen to the cast recording too, because I have definitely been surprised and found that like, there were cues in the orchestra that weren't notated in my rehearsal score. Right. That would like really help them figure out when to come in. Like, Oh, there's a drum cue bringing that in. So let me right. fill that in. Right. And, uh, so, so then this leads to, so we, you know, you're talking about blocking and, and stacking. So then you're getting to the full run throughs and, right. And then that takes you to, uh, everyone's favorite week, tech week. Right. Well, actually before that, now, I mean, let's back up. So, because uh, you do play for Elon, and e Elon is uh, fairly generous with the rehearsals that give the orchestra, in, in that you know it's not just two, <laughs> and then let's go to it. But, uh, but you get a, a nice day alone, and then you get a uh, either a sitz probe or a vonder probe. So, right. at that point, you're you're transitioning. Now, do you do prep into the piano one book? I mean, I was I assume that uh, you know some shows piano one book can just go to the piano and put it on the piano sound and play it but then other piano book one books are like almost as intense as the keyboard two books you know where you've got to ch change sounds do you have to program your own uh -huh. keyboard and all that yep <laughs> <laughs> okay i hate going from rehearsal piano to a piano one book <laughs> i and i think the okay there's two reasons one of them is I'm a complete control freak and right. I am convinced that the entire show will collapse <laughs> if magical me isn't sitting there like holding it all together. Right. It turns out that's totally not the case because, well, Jen was playing in Oklahoma in the pit for mm -hmm. that, I think. Right. There was, I was playing the harp book for Oklahoma. Mm. And I think you can imagine just how much harp happens in Oklahoma. Right. 
Like I had nothing to do. It was, <laughs> it was a vacation, but the whole opening sequence has like this cute little like flute and strings back and forth. And I wasn't playing mm-hmm. and I didn't have the book in front of me. Cause I just had glissandos for the entire show. And, um, somebody missed their cue one night mm. and, um, and there's Nathan conducting, just looking as placid as can be mm-hmm. and totally calm. And somebody missed their cue and he's like, yep, yep. This is how it sounds. This is good. This is good. Cues in the singer and everything was fine, mm. which definitely has forced me to like change my attitude where that's concerned with right. switching to book one, which is that you're not that important, Heidi. <laughs> and the other thing is like you were saying, like, was I like, how do I prepare for these rehearsals? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, no matter how I prepare for it, it always seems to be like not quite right or useful. Mm-hmm. So we were going the last show I played was We Will Rock You, which is like the doofiest rock show ever <laughs> with music from Queen. It was amazing. I had right. the best time. And so I'm trying to play like all these crazy guitar licks on piano for rehearsal, which sounded about as good as you can ima- imagine, like uh-huh. trying to play some Brian May. Right. <laughs> on piano. I've done Rock of Ages <laughs> as accompanist. It's really <laughs> right? <very> interesting. <laughs> I didn't think I was ever going to need those scales, but there it was. Yeah. And um, so switching from that to to the keyboard book for the show, like I thought I was prepared and I had all these cool sounds built into the keyboard. It, yeah, it is difficult. And, and having to do your own programming, which is unusual at a professional level, but I imagine pretty common mm-hmm. at the academic level. Right. I guess I've always done my own programming. Right. But yeah, switching to book one is, is tricky and it's not just the program it's also like relearning what you need to play and what you need to fill in and how to become part of the ensemble instead of the person driving it forward right so if it's a piano driven show Mm -hmm. then it's not so bad Mm -hmm. but even with parade i had to switch and that should have been a piano driven show because jrb but right I, i switched to piano book and it was like all these things that I'd been playing insane amounts of piano on are now like in the clarinet book and it's not my problem anymore. And it's really hard to adjust to becoming part of the team instead of the person leading the team. Right. Yeah. And you know, in some cases you've got to count rests now (laughs) Whereas before you had no rests. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm really grateful for all my time on violin and trombone because that definitely taught me. How to count rests. Right. Um, yeah, I think, so I guess it would be safe to say it's technically easier to play the piano one book because, yes. but it's probably, I, I don't know, from a momentum standpoint and just kind of a comfort standpoint, maybe not as easy as just being the compass. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And the piano one book has all the vocals in there. You always know where you are. Yeah, that is true. I've had to play out of books, yeah, that that didn't have it, and yeah, I think it was Chicago, Chicago, or, or it was some, it was some, yeah. something like that, and I just said I can't do this, so I <laughs> marked up the entire piano vocal score for Chicago. I made a I made a copy, and I just like took a highlighter and said play this, 
X'd out what piano two is playing. And it's like, okay, we're, we're going to do it this way. (laughs) It's like, cause I could not be ignorant of what the vocals are doing. It's like, it was just, especially because it wasn't, it wasn't a case of even where I had a conductor. It was a, you know, lead the pit from the piano experience. By the way, way, have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to lead the pit? Yeah. From the piano. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I did it in We Will Rock You, mm-hmm. which was interesting, too, because they had us on stage, but kind of off to the side. Right. And so I was sitting facing the stage sideways with two guitarists on a platform, <laughs> like maybe eight feet up right. in front of me and a bass player about 10 feet away to my left. And the drummer, I had like this narrow little like six inch gap. I could see his face and he was like 15 feet away from me nice and yeah we were tight that was a really good pit i did that i led um american idiot Mm -hmm. a black box production of that and so we're like all in the same room together and they had me um they had the band kind of like uh up on the stage like kind of in the side of all of the activity and they had me with my back to the audience facing the band. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted us costumed. They wanted us interacting in the show. I colored my hair purple and nice. wore like Pink Floyd t-shirts and flannel and like 90s grunge and led the band. And I was terrified and it was incredible. Right. And that was fun too. They wanted us interacting with the cast and there was one line i was they were blocking the show and they had just dismissed me for a break they're like we don't need you for this next bit and as they were as i was leaving and they were running the lines for the scene one of the actors says yeah gotta go to a show the band will probably suck and i like was walking there was one of the lines in the show and i was walking out and i stopped cold and looked at him (laughs) (laughs) the band will probably suck and i was like (laughs) <laughs> and the director takes note of my response but she doesn't say anything and i i was like okay okay that's how it is and right. i kept going left on my break i come back and she has blocked me into the show she wants me to turn around and flip him off <laughs> after he gives that line and i was like it would be my honor yeah i mean i, I really love playing rock of ages but it, my favorite part aside from the music is that there's a guy that's clearly modeled after like David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar, some someone in there. I was like, uh, got, got the blonde hair and all that. Yes. So JC, I think yeah, is his yeah. name. And he uh, he and the band don't don't get along. Actually, he, he says that the band loves him, but the band hates him. And so there are some there's some R-rated dialogue that someone from the band has to say, and it was fine for that particular production. I was the only one who volunteered. So. Uh, this is a great interview. There's so many things. I just want to ask a, a few more questions. So there are a lot of people playing piano and that maybe they don't know kind of where that's going to take them. But, you know, I always tell people accompanying is, you know, it's an easier gateway in professional piano than, you know, being a soloist playing, you know, Rachmaninoff with an orchestra. It's like you've got a oh, lot more sure. opportunities. Yeah. So with that in mind, what are... What are some what's some advice you'd give to piano students uh, who are open to the idea of being a professional accompanist? Oh, I mean, I'm so grateful for this 
like path in my life. Actually, I can't imagine doing anything else. Um, sight reading. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's like always the number one response, but seriously sight reading Right. and like more than just sight reading, but like, um, like we were talking about before understanding like what's important and what can be left out. Right. Um, which is probably the result of a lot of like active listening to music Yes. and listening to a lot of different styles and like what differentiates one from another what makes this a country song a solid country song and this one's more like rock country and what makes this one bluegrass and what drives these songs forward um okay listening to this hip-hop song can you actually lay this out on piano how can you make that happen because it is possible right always (laughs) gonna sound like it was played on piano but it's possible right so a lot of active attentive listening and a lot of, I think this is 90% of my job, is being able to play while distracted. I mean, I have, uh, I have the worst attention span anyway. Right. Um, and so, like, something comes in the room, something, and, and I take note of it. And the trick is to not let that affect your playing, but to rather take note and decide, like, do I need to pay attention to that? And so in rehearsals and performance, you know, there's a loud noise somewhere. Is that important? Did somebody just like bite it on stage or should I keep going? Right. So playing distracted because there is this like this reverence Mm -hmm. given to that Rachmaninoff that like if you're playing that the audience is still and silent and and listening with all their attention and not the case when you're accompanying right yeah (laughs) that's true (laughs) one of one of the best experiences i had in college was with um the accompanist professor benton hess who does opera um and he would put a piece of music to sight read in front of me and he'd put the crossword next to it and he would have me like sight read the piece and he'd be like what's what's the answer for five down like while i'm sight reading i'd be like uh uh, is that even in English? <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. So yeah, playing distracted. Yeah, uh, yeah. The sight reading and and especially like what you say about yeah, you call it active listening. It's kind of kind of a, I guess another A word be analytical. You know, active analytical yeah. listening to like what makes this tick. You know, what's going on in there, and that's uh, that's very good advice. Um, I don't know how many actors listen to this show, um, but what. <laughs> What's some advice that you would give actors that that they could do to make your job easier? Oh boy! <laughs> I'm sorry, do we have enough time? <laughs> yeah, how you how you doing on time? No. Um, okay, there's the actor in the context of the show, and then there's the actor before the show ever happens, the auditioning actor. Right. So to the auditioning actor, I would say, uh, please remember that I'm actually on your side here. Right. I I view my job as the audition accompanist to not be the person who's like trying to figure out who to cast and who not to cast. My job is to just make your audition experience as good as I can possibly make it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing your part and bringing in very clear, very clean music that you've actually heard on piano before that you've worked with so that we don't have to like have a conversation about what key you want this in and what is this mess and why are you giving me chord changes on a post-it note? <laughs> like, 
yeah, these things happen. Right. But to remember that I, that I am like backing you up here in the audition and to do your part and to bring very clean music mm-hmm. as an actor, that would help me help you tremendously. Right. And then in the show, I think a lot of actors are uh, timid or, or intimidated somehow, reluctant to ask questions or to figure things out. And so they don't understand, for example, if there's underscoring that's leading into them singing, they don't always understand intuitively how their dialogue can bring them into the song or what I'm doing to try to time things out to make it a consistent show each night. Right. And so I would tell actors to have that conversation with the pianist and the music director so that something can be locked down and mm-hmm. not to get clever and creative <laughs> final night of a show right? and stretch out or like rush through something that you've been doing consistently and solidly. These are things that help keep the right. show together. Right. Well, so I always ask this, what, what what is a horror story from a show? We've all had these, haven't we? Yep. Okay. So I can't be catty until like the really good horror story. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> again, <laughs> right. we wait until I retire. Right. But I do have a very shameful moment. Okay. <laughs> that that was of my own doing. Okay. <laughs> um, because this was like really, really cocky Heidi about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 15 years ago, something. And I was playing uh, Full Monty at a joint community theater venture, the one and only joint venture between CTG, Community Theater of Greensboro, and Little Theater of Winston-Salem. Okay, I think I know some and of so the people show, in that show. <laughs> uh, do you really? yeah. And so this thing ran for like five weeks or something. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was this unending production of Full Monty. And I was playing Keys 2 for this show. Mm. So I was feeling like kind of above it all, like a little too good to be playing Keys 2 for Full Monty. And I was probably a little bit insufferable. Mm. And so I I vividly remember like bringing a Nintendo DS into the pit and like playing video games (laughs) in between my numbers. And so this is just to set up the fact that I was being a cocky little snot (laughs) and I definitely got what was coming to me because there's this bit in, um, I think it's called Michael Jordan. They're talking about how you've got to be like Michael Jordan with the basketball. You've got to move gracefully. And the guys are all singing about that. And then it breaks into like that sports theme Mm -hmm. and it goes dun, 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 dun. And I'm playing this on keys too. So I've got it on an organ setting and I'm just, too freaking cool for this and i'm going and i go splatted all over it i played it was the easiest thing in the world to play and i just trashed it i completely demolished it it was unrecognizably bad and with like a really good lead up so you knew what it was supposed to be right and I swear to God, that whole pit turned on me. Like, <laughs> and poor, poor Tyson. Mm. Tyson Hankins is playing keys one. Right. Who is like the sweetest, most responsible pianist there is. <laughs> and everybody blamed him for it. Oh. <laughs> and you couldn't see into the pit. We were like blocked out completely from the view of the audience. Thank God. Mm. 
but everybody thought it was him. Poor guy. But no, that was me for the record. Okay. <laughs> nice. That was my, my horror story. And that definitely got me to take my keys to responsibilities a little more seriously and put the game down. Maybe. What's a really fond memory from a show? There was a production of my fair lady from like 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. 21 years ago. My God. (laughs) Um, and I was playing piano, obviously piece one. And it was like a full orchestra. There must've been like 16 or 20 pieces in that orchestra, which is like unheard of. It was, Mm. And um, it had been a very difficult <laughs> rehearsal process and a, and a difficult director to work with. Director, not music director. Um, music director was my wife, so. Right. And we were in mid-performance. It was probably like the second or third week of the show, so everybody was really comfortable, and the whole orchestra was just gelling together really well. And Eliza Doolittle was doing one of her numbers, and just skipped a verse Mm. just just skipped ahead and it happens and you've got to make a decision as a conductor like are you gonna are you gonna cue the singer are you gonna bring the orchestra it's always easier to rein one singer in than to try to corral an entire orchestra right and for whatever reason she just looked around at all of us and like called out a measure number to the orchestra and gave a big downbeat boom Mm mm-hmm and it was like that magical moment where like all 16 or 20 of us just and just landed all together. Wow. So like when that happens, it's. Yeah. Yeah. That magic of ensemble playing. And that's, right. I think, what I'm really missing. I think a lot of us are missing right now because I can make recordings and, and talk to the kids. And right. It's just not quite the same. I'm I'm always amazed when like a singer, I don't know, goes ahead early, and I know it, and and I'm thinking, oh crap! It's like there's eight of right. eight other people here, <laughs> and I can't tell them about it. But then I start listening. I'm like, oh wait a minute, they're doing the chord changes right there. They they noticed it too, and I, and I'm always impressed yeah. with that. <laughs> Originally, I was supposed to be playing keyboard two in the next show that you were doing you're doing but i know they went in a different direction but is that still what is it beast mode champion is that the name of it or do they have they gone in a different mode direction? Champion. okay no no that um we had to revamp our entire production year right um we spent a lot of the summer trying to figure out what we would be able to do mm-hmm. and a lot of it had to do with like getting the rights to stream a performance right we were kind of starting from that tactic and it's you know, it's it's difficult to figure out the money and the legalities of live streaming or recording even a production for ticket holders. And so we pulled our original planned season and replaced it with shows that we would have the rights to live stream. Right. So Beast Mode is actually written by one of our Elon alums. Right. Dan Gibson. And his writing partner from NYU, Alex Higgins. This is terrible. I can't think of his last name. Okay. It's it's brilliant. Right. And it's about this young, gay, pudgy kid who wants to get into the world of 
pro wrestling. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) And I thought this is the most ridiculous idea of her show. And I read the script, the score, and I was like, this is brilliant. And because we happen to know the writers, we have rights to live stream it. And so Elon right now is working on rehearsing that. And then they're going to film individual scenes from it. And they're going to pre-record all the choral stuff and mix it together. Mm. And we're going to have like a video show. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so is it like, is it going to be tracks or piano only, or I, I don't, I don't know how they decided to go with the music. Oh, I'm a little unclear just cause it's this Tyson's gig and not mine. Right. Um, but my understanding is that, um, because they're still rewriting it mm-hmm. and this hasn't even premiered yet. This was their, um, like graduate thesis project. Uh, Cause uh, they just finished grad school last right. March, May COVID. Um, so they are, I think fielding out the tracks to the musicians that they had lined up for it. Question right. mark or something like that. They've got some kind of system set up. So they've got a bunch of like, I guess, studio musicians who are pre-recording it all. Right. Yeah. It's, it's you got to do what crazy. you got to do during this time. So. Yeah. And yeah. so I don't know how we're going to field that for the next two shows. Right. Um, the next one I'm not familiar with. I am playing it. I will be familiar with it. Right. But it's actually an NYU year. Um, she was also a graduate of their NYU music theater writing program. Right. And then and that's the bubbly black girl sheds her chameleon skin. Hmm which sounds very cool. Yeah. And and then in the spring, we're going to do Fugitive Songs by an Elon alum, Chris Miller. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I've told Kate before, um, it was our, I guess, on episode eight, I think. I have to go double check that. But, uh, you know, I've told her, uh, I, I really love the one time I played an Elon. I, I'd love to be able to do it again, but there's, there's always one of two conflicts. It's like either the show they're doing doesn't have a keyboard two book, Yep. Or it's always in November and I'm doing Greensboro Day or I'm doing some other. And there's like, I was Wizard of Oz one year. There's always some kind of production going on, (laughs) you know, during that time. And and I'm usually hired as a music director. But, uh, you know, more and more, I'm like, I I would rather do fewer music directing things and just more coming in the pit and play. It just, it's. Kind of, really, kind of where I am right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind leading the pit, but I really much prefer just like being part of the ensemble and not being in charge. Right. Uh, thank you for uh, being a guest on the show. This is very informative and uh, and some fun stories. Yeah. Thank you. And that concludes episode number twenty two. And we will be back next week, next Friday, for episode twenty three. And I'm going to be talking to Tommy Jackson, where I'm going to be talking about uh, a lot of things that he's done, but including starting a house band from scratch for a theater. And um, it's a little bit of a, a side story, but we will talk about theater itself. But it's, it's a fun, unique thing we're going to be discussing. So that'll be next week. And uh, as a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. 
as always, a special thanks to Mark Perolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. And you can find out more about this podcast or leave me a message through the website, davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.